Well, good morning. It's great to see everyone today. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 24. That's where we're going to be. It's always a privilege for us to be able to worship together, for us to be able to take a look at God's Word together. We're in a series called Did You Hear That? We're going to be looking at some things that, that God said in His Word that are just maybe those moments that we look at and we go, oh my goodness, I can't believe He said that out loud. And at the same time, there are those moments that are maybe stories that, uh, that we just don't look at that frequently. So 1 Samuel 24 is where we're going to be. We'll read it in just a minute. But, uh, but as we begin, I'm just going to set the context for what we'll talk about today. 22 years ago, you know, there's just not a way you can share a memory and start it with the words 22 years ago and sound anything other than just old, right? <laughs> and so um, 22 years ago, my wife and I, Londa, we worked at Falls Creek. We did some video production work for Falls Creek. We lived at the creek all summer long. And, um, and so one Wednesday, uh, we had gotten our work done, and so we left campus to go on a date. We went to get something to eat, something that wasn't camp food. And so, uh, uh, so we left campus, and on the way back, it was a Wednesday night, on the way back, there's this place that's just great, it's a great spot to look and just kind of see the valley and see, see the creek and all that stuff. Londa says, hey, wait, pull in right here. Let's just stop for a minute. I want to I give you something. And I'm like, what is this all about? And so we stop, and she hands me a card it's like a Hallmark card. I'm like, it's not my birthday. It's not, well, what is this all about? And so I open up the card, and I had not, I was leading worship at a church in Hera at the time, and I had not really connected that Sunday of that week, 22 years ago, it was going to be Father's Day. And so she hands me a card, and I open it up, and it's a, it's a Father's Day card. And I'm like, I'm not a dad. You gave this to the wrong person. <laughs> and she's like, no, really. This is, this is for you. And I found out that I was going to be a dad for the very first time. And Jaden was the daughter that would be born nine months later or so. And, and so what an incredible moment that was. It was just beautiful. And you've experienced moments. Maybe you're not a dad yet. Maybe you probably should just be a dog dad. Or maybe you just that's something for the future. I'm not sure. But you've experienced moments like that. These moments that are just life-defining moments. That, for me, was absolutely one of them. And what's really funny is it's a Wednesday, and so we went back to the cabin at the creek, and I went to bed and got up the next morning, and I'm going to be a dad, but I'm not really, well, I guess I'm a dad right now. Uh, what do I do? I don't have any idea. I've never done this before. Uh, I'm still making it up as I go, so that's awesome. But you've had those life-defining moments before, right? Those moments where you made a choice or a choice that someone else made affected you. And then Jaden comes along and, you know, she gets to graduation. And for some of you guys, you had the prom last night. Those of you who went to the prom, good job being here this morning. That's awesome. Way to go. That's incredible. Graduation is like three weeks away. I mean, it's crazy how quick it's coming. Maybe two weeks. It's just it's crazy how fast that's going to be here. So you're having this moment where it's a defining moment. After this moment, everything changes. And I'm going through graduation things with my son, Cademan. He graduates this year. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, I don't remember doing this with Jaden. Why do I not? And it wasn't that long ago. Why don't I? Oh, yeah, she graduated during COVID. So sometimes you make a choice. And sometimes the choice makes you, right? During COVID, my dad passed away. Not a choice I would have made. 
I think he'd be a little ticked to know that he's a COVID statistic, right? I just think he'd be mad about that. And then um, just a few days ago, my daughter's in Shawnee, and this huge tornado comes through Shawnee and tears up the school she goes to. She's fine, everybody's fine, but the campus is in shambles. Sometimes the defining moments are about choices you make, and sometimes they're about things that are done to you. You've experienced that, right? You've been a part of that. In just a few weeks, Jaden's going to end up getting married. Again, choices I didn't make. <laughs> um, but I like the boy. He's, he's good. His family's awesome. This is, we're good. My weapons are loaded. It's good. Um, and as a church, man, there was a shower a few weeks ago, and I'm just so thankful for the hosts, hosts of that. You guys did such a great job. Thank you for honoring my family. But again, in the defining moments, sometimes the defining moments are about the choices you make, and sometimes they're about the things that are just done to you. Actually, there's a Greek word for that. It's kairos. Kairos is an opportune time. You might think of it as a moment that changes all the other moments after it. I always like saying kairos is a moment in time that changes eternity because after that moment, nothing is ever the same again. And I think you've experienced moments just like that before. And sometimes those moments come with a promise, a promise from God. God said, this is the way life will be. And then you get into the middle of that Kairos defining moment and you look up and you go, I clearly didn't understand, God, what you were saying when you made this promise. And so sometimes God makes promises that we think define these defining moments, these moments when the choices we make make us, or sometimes when the choices that are made make us. And we wonder, okay, God, in relationship to your promise in this decision, it's a significant decision, when, when does God, in, in relationship to this promise he's made, when does God want me to act? When does God want me to wait so when does God want me to act? When does God want me to wait? And if God needs me to wait because of his promises that aren't finished yet, when God wants me to wait, what am I supposed to do in the waiting? So how do we know the answers to those questions? When does God want me to act? When does God want me to wait? And what does God want me to do in the waiting? Well, see, David is one of those characters in Scripture that we celebrate, and we know a lot about his story. The Bible talks a lot about who David was, and David's one of these men who God made a promise to. He anointed David as a, as a young man. David was anointed to be the king of Israel. Well, now that's a pretty cool story, right? We all love that Cinderella story. The, the ruddy, good-looking kid who's the shepherd boy who's picked over all of his brothers and suddenly, this, you know, Saul, the current king, he's not really doing a great job. He's done some things to violate God's standards and so now God's selecting the next guy. It's gonna be David. Samuel shows up. Samuel looks at his oldest brother, Eliab. Oh, surely this is gonna be the guy because Eliab, he's tall, he's handsome, he's ripped. You know, he's just one of those guys. He looks like a warrior. He looks like a king. And we know the story, right? Remember, God says, no, 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 don't look at his outward appearance. I'm God. I look at the heart, and I want to make certain we anoint the right one. And so they anoint David, this young teenage kid, to be the king. Except he doesn't get to be the king. He leaves the room to go back to tend the sheep. Okay, God's made this promise. I've anointed you to be king. 
And I got to hear in David's voice, in David's heart, okay, what does that mean to be anointed? What am I supposed to do in the waiting? God, I know you're doing something. This seems like a really important one of those defining moments for my life. What am I supposed to do now? Go feed the sheep. Oh, well, okay, maybe, that what, maybe that's what God anointed me for. Maybe I'm anointed to go be a shepherd. And then later, you know this other story. This is one of the ones we see in Vacation Bible School, right? The nation of Israel is lined up in battle against the Philistines, and they send out their biggest warrior, Goliath, right? Goliath of Gath. He's a giant. He comes out, and he defies the armies of Israel, and he defies God. And in the middle of that defiance, David's still at home because he's still a kid tending the sheep. And his dad says, hey, David, why don't you take some food to your brothers? And so he goes to take food to his brothers. And while he's there, Goliath comes out and issues his little challenge. And David's like, who are you to challenge my God and my nation? And all the nation of Israel, all of the soldiers, including King Saul, were afraid to face Goliath. And so David shows up and with a slingshot full of nothing but faith, makes the shot of his life, right? He makes the shot of his life. He kills Goliath, beheads Goliath. The whole nation celebrates David as a hero. Saul is slain as thousands, but David is slain as ten thousands. And I can sort of hear that voice in the back of David's head. God anointed me to be king. Maybe this is it. Maybe this is the time. Maybe now is the time. But even in that moment, Saul didn't really know who he was. And he didn't get to be king. Saul was still the king. And here he is, anointed and celebrated, but still not the king. What do you do in the waiting when there's a promise? What do you do when the defining moment comes and the end of the thing isn't quite what you expected? And then there's this moment when Saul, Saul who is the current king of Israel, God says, you're not my king anymore. And Saul has this spirit that torments him. And, and they say, you know what you need, Saul? You need someone to come play the lute for you and comfort you in your time of trouble. We know a guy who's really good at playing the lute. He's a poet. He's a warrior. You know who he is because you saw him on the battlefield against Goliath. This guy can sing like nobody's business and he writes songs. You should have David come into your court and every time you're troubled, you should have, King, you should have David play for you. And so that's exactly what they do. They bring David into the court of Saul. And every time Saul is troubled, David gets out his lute. It's like a guitar. And he starts playing. And he starts singing. And the Spirit of God uses that to minister to and to comfort the king. And I can sort of hear in David, in the back of his mind, well, I was anointed for something special. I thought it, I thought it was to be the king. But maybe, maybe it's to comfort the king. Maybe it's to fight the king's battles. Maybe it's to be one of the king's men. I don't know, but in the waiting, God, what am I supposed to do? I don't know. I'll just play my lute and I'll sing my songs. And then out of that, the relationship between Jonathan and Saul grows. They become incredible friends. That's uh, between Jonathan and David grows, I mean, and uh, Jonathan is Saul's son, and they build this incredible friendship. And then Saul, because he knows that he's not supposed to be the king anymore, and David is, that God's been anointed. He sees David's popularity rising and his authority and influence diminishing. He starts becoming envious of David. 
He starts getting mad at David. He starts accusing David of crimes he didn't commit. Multiple times, David comes in to sing his songs and to play his lute to comfort the king, and it ends with the king throwing a spear at him and cussing at him and driving him out. Ultimately, David flees for his life because Saul is going to track him down and kill him because he's just so envious. And I can see David in the back of his mind going, God, I think you said I was anointed to be the king. This is not at all how I thought that would go. It's just not at all. What what am I supposed to do, God? What do I do in the waiting? What promises do you think you've received from God? What calling do you think you have? What expectations for your life have you been trying to bring to life, but now you're in that space of, well, it's not turning out quite like I expected, God. What am I supposed to do now? Haven't we all been right there where David is? Maybe no one's throwing a spear at us, but haven't we all experienced that? Where we think we're called to something, we think we're anointed for something, but it's just not going quite like we expected. You see, in 1 Samuel chapter 24, we see that happen all over again. And we see what David does in the waiting. Let's look at 1 Samuel 24. Uh, Stand with me. Out of honor for the reading of God's word, as we read 1 Samuel 24. I'm just going to read the first seven verses, and I'll finish telling the rest of the story. Um, It's really kind of funny, some of the things that they include in Scripture, because part of this is definitely not something I would have written down to tell people, because it's a little embarrassing. 1 Samuel 24 says, Now it happened, when Saul had returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rock, rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master." the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much. You can be seated. Now, when you understand, when you read that and you hear that Saul went into the cave to attend to his needs, you know what that means, right? To attend to his needs... He had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> That's it's one of those things in Scripture where you're like, I'm not sure I'd have included that, but I don't know how the story works without it. So here's Saul. He's a king. Here's a cave. He's got to go. So he goes. Evidently, he was hyper-distracted, maybe sitting there with his iPhone, watching TikTok or whatever, because he was so distracted while doing his business that he didn't notice that David and his 600 faithful warrior men were in the cave with him. Not the way I want to go either. But here he is so distracted that he doesn't notice the 600 armed soldiers in the cave. He doesn't notice when David sneaks up on him and cuts off the edge of his robe. He does his business and gets up and leaves. 
and his people. So now in this moment, here's David. He's fleeing from Saul. If, they, if anybody had reason to kill Saul, it was David. They, Saul had come after David before. Actually, in the next few chapters, we'll see that, David, that Saul pursues David again. He's trying to kill him by every standard of self-defense, by every standard of freedom, by every standard of what's right in the defense of my own rights and my own self and what's good for the nation, by every possible standard. David had the right to kill the king. And in his head and in his heart, I can hear him thinking, well, I was anointed to be the king. And then he goes to be a shepherd. I was anointed to be the king. He kills Goliath and goes back to be a son of Jesse. He gets called into the court. He plays the lute. And then he's accused of crimes he didn't commit. And now Saul's trying to kill him. And now it's not just in the back of his mind that he's hearing, I've been anointed. God's picked me for a purpose. I can do something about it. And all of my buddies, all of the 600 people behind me are saying, it's time. Take it. All, he's right there. See? See? God's given him into your hand to take it right now. Take him right now. And in this moment, David made a choice that was a defining moment for his life. Now, you saw what happened. He cut the edge of Saul's garment. And then listen to what this says about David's character bothered him that he had shamed the king. And so after Saul leaves the, 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 the caves, David walks out and he says, see, I, I did this. Forgive me for doing this, but I, I cut this off of your robe. I don't have any intention of harming you. I may be the one anointed to be king, but it's up to God to fulfill that promise. It's not up to me to take it. And so Saul, look, he put you into my hands. And I have honored you. And in that moment, Saul goes, he, he recognizes it. Saul, you're a better man than I am, David. I'm not going to come after you now. He took his 3,000 soldiers and he went away. Now later, he comes back and chases after uh, David again because Saul was that man who was tormented and he wasn't supposed to be king. But David in that moment was saying, this promise isn't for me to take. It's for God to fulfill. Because here's the thing that David knew. Remember when Samuel anointed Saul king in the first place. The children of Israel, they had been doing in the book of Judges what was right in their own eyes. And they come to Samuel and they say, Samuel, you're the last judge of Israel. Make for us a king like all the other nations. Remember what Samuel said? He said, but Israel already has a king. Israel's king is God. And so when David was anointed king, I believe different from Saul, what David believed was that God was the king of Israel, and David believed he was anointed for the purpose of serving the children of Israel. And that being king for him, it wasn't about an authority to take, to do with what you want. It was about a stewardship to fulfill a responsibility that had been given to him. And so in this moment, I think David is standing there wondering and asking, okay, God, if you're going to make me king, what kind of king will I be? How will I want my people to treat me? When I go through times of weakness and times of struggle, when my heart and my flesh fail, who will I be? Well, actually, we have a psalm where David just expresses that, my heart and my flesh, they fail, but God is the strength of my heart forever and ever. It's in Psalms. 
And I think in this moment, David was practicing two principles that I think we really need to catch and we need to live by. We need to understand. The first one is this. When God speaks clearly, we act decisively. When God speaks clearly, we act decisively. Goliath stood and defied the armies of God and defied God in the doing so, and David acted decisively. Who is this unwashed Philistine to stand against God? Watch this. Here's my slingshot filled with faith, and he does what needs to be done. You know, as I think about this, when I think when God speaks clearly, we act decisively. It's why reading God's Word every day is so important. We just read this passage, if you're keeping up with our daily Bible readings, we just read it a few days ago, and and we'll read, and we've already read even the second time that Saul comes after him. If you're not keeping up with it, I hope you'll jump in right where we are because every time God speaks clearly from his word, we should act decisively. As I read it, I think to myself, you know, there's just some things I don't have to pray about. There's some things written in God's word that you just don't have to pray about. For example, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. It says, go into all the world and teach the nations, baptizing, making disciples, baptizing the name and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We should be sharing the gospel with people. Oh, let me pray about that. You hear Chris talk about it, or you hear a guy like me talking about it, your Sunday school teachers, you know what? We ought to be sharing the gospel. Well, let me, let me pray about it. You don't have to pray about sharing the gospel. If you're praying about sharing the gospel, you know what you need to be praying? Hey, God, I've got this friend at work. Would you give me favor as I share the gospel with him? Would you break down the walls that they've built inside their own heart? God, I'm not nearly persuasive enough. I'm not nearly smart enough. I'm not nearly informed enough. I'm not nearly educated enough to actually say something good enough for someone's eternity to ever be changed. But God, I'm so glad that I don't have to be because you are. So God, would you do the miraculous work in my friend's life, in my co-worker's life? in my wife's life, in my, in my spouse's life, in my partner's life, in, in, the, in my friend's life. Father, would you, would you do what only you can do? If you're going to be praying about the gospel, don't be praying about whether or not to share. Be praying for the people you're sharing with. You don't have to pray about the gospel. When God speaks clearly, we act decisively. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 is the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You don't have to pray about serving that to people. You don't have to pray about filling your life with it and giving it to someone else. Galatians chapter 5 verse 23 is awesome because after it gives that list of nine things, it actually says something remarkable. It says, against these things, there is no law. In other words, you can be filled to the full with the fruit of the Spirit and serve it to anyone, anytime, anywhere, in any amount, and never be wrong. Hey, a good dose of self-control? I could use some of that. A good dose of peace? Hey, could I be the one to speak and bring peace into your life today? How about gentleness? Man, instead of being the one that flies off the handle when things don't go my way, I don't have to pray about whether or not I should be gentle. God, how much gentleness can I give and get away with it? He says, as much as you want. How kind could I be? How much joy is enough? God says, I don't don't put limits on that sort of thing. I'm for it. Grow it in you and serve it to someone else. You don't have to pray about that. When God speaks clearly, we should act decisively. 
There's another one. It's actually 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. God loves a cheerful giver. Generosity. You don't have to pray about, should I be generous? Absolutely, you should be generous. God says, yes, you should do that. The thing you should be praying about is how much, how often, and to who? Who do I give to? How much and how frequently do I get to give? God, would you provide for me enough that I could give even more? You don't have to pray about that. All he says is be generous and be happy when you're generous. Be happy in your generosity. James chapter 1, verse 27. You don't have to pray about this. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world, to take the strength you have and to use it on behalf of those who are the weakest among us, to take the position you have and to use it for the benefit of those who have no position at all, to use who you are and what you have for the benefit of the least and the last and the overlooked among us, you don't have to pray about that. If you're praying about it, it's, hey, God, help me to see them and do in their lives what only you can do. Raise them up and help me be part of the instrument that you use to do it. We help, when God speaks clearly, we act decisively. But in this moment, David faces a challenge because in one way God has spoken clearly and in another through the voice of his friends, there's a little bit of confusion. The clarity is God made him, he anointed David to be king. That absolutely happened. David was there when it happened. But the words that his friends are saying, see, now is the time. God has put your enemy into your hands. Do with him as you will. God says, go. You see, the words of his friends in that moment sounded right. But in that moment, David's making an evaluation in his own heart. Because when God speaks clearly, we act decisively. But through the course of David's life, he knew the promise was there. And he knew it wasn't his business or his job to bring the promise to life. God is the one who fulfills the promise. And even today, we look at our lives and we recognize in Corinthians, it says, in Jesus, all the promises of God have their yes But it's not us who brings that about. It's God who brings that about. David knew that. I could force the issue, but what do I become if I force the issue? So when God speaks clearly, we act decisively. But while God works out His promise, we work in His character. You see, that's the second principle. While God's working out His promise, we work in His character. James chapter 1, Chris referenced it last week. It says, let patience have its perfect work in you, that you may be found perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In that moment when we've received a promise from God, but the promise hasn't yet been fulfilled, what do we do in the waiting? We work in the character of God. We try to become a reflection of God's character in this place, in this time, in this circumstance. We try to live in a way that would honor God because here's what's happening in David's life in this moment. He's thinking, what kind of king will I be? And how will my people, when I'm king, treat me? How can I trust God and reflect the sovereign God of this kingdom and be a great steward of the responsibility that he's given to me? I love the movie Gladiator. It's an older movie now, but there's this great scene where Maximus, who is the hero of the movie, he's talking to the old emperor before, before the old emperor dies, and the emperor brings him into his tent, 
And he knows he's about to die because he's an old man. And he says, Maximus, let's speak as men do. And they come into the tent together, and, and the emperor is talking about this dream that was once Rome. And it's just a whisper. You had to whisper it or it would go away. And he just, he loves his nation. And he's thinking about his rule as the emperor. And he asks the question, Maximus, how will I be known as an emperor? I'm an old man now. Will I be known emperor the wise? Will I be known as emperor the mighty? Will I be emperor the, the warrior? Will I be emperor the tyrant? You've seen that in world leaders, right? We've got Alexander the Great. We've got Vlad the Impaler. We've got all these different names that we attach to people. And it actually even happens inside Scripture. Remember Abraham? He was called a friend of God. And remember John? He was called the disciple that Jesus loved. And remember Barnabas? He was called the son of encouragement. As diverse as we are, as the people of God that he's created, there is a special relationship and place for us in God's heart that allows us to be Chad the, Darby the, Jonathan the, David the. There's room. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 for me for just a second. Watch what happens in this moment. When God works out his promises, what do we do? We wait. We work in his character. And look what happened to these men and women in Hebrews chapter 11 by faith. Verse 4. I'm going to do this really quickly because there's so much in this passage. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. Verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. Verse 7, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed God when he was called out of the palace. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she was judged in him because she judged him faithful who had promised. Verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. By faith, verse 24, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 27, by faith, Moses forsook Egypt. Verse 29, by faith, Moses led the children of Israel to pass through the Red Sea on dry ground. And those are the stories I want to be a part of, right? Those are the, aren't those the stories you want to be a part of? Look at the rest of that. Verse 32, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to fight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead, raised to life again. Those are the stories I want to be a part of. When God, while he works out his promises, I work in his character. And as I do that, I also have to recognize that in Hebrews 11, what I just read to you is the exciting part of waiting for God to work out his promises. Because right there in the middle of verse 35... Other followers were tortured, 
not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourging, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom this world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth, and all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And then we get to those verses that if you've been in church any time at all, you've probably heard. See then, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all those people I just named, let us lay aside the weight of sin and the temptation that so easily encumbers us And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, and who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the Father. What do you do in the waiting? While God works out his promises, we work in his character. And the end result for David I believe this might have been that moment. This might have been that moment when you're looking back and you go, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. John was the disciple that Jesus loved. Barnabas was the son of encouragement. Abel offered a better sacrifice. Moses was the liberator. Sarah was the woman who had faith to believe that God would bring the son of promise through her. I believe this is the moment when we recognize that David stepped into his role as a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he said, This promise is God's to give and mine to receive. I've been anointed to be a king. I have not been anointed to be a king slayer. This man who stands before me, who's trying to kill me, he is not my enemy. He was the man I was called into his court to minister to him. This is the frail father of my favorite friend. And I will not be the man to take his life. It's not my responsibility. God gave the promise. God will keep his promise. And I will be faithful in between. And then we get all the way to James chapter 2, verse 13. And God tells us, mercy triumphs over judgment. If anybody had a reason to kill Saul, it was David. And he chose not to. Because in the waiting, he would be faithful. And in his faithfulness, he became a man after God's own heart. So it begs the question, what are you waiting for? And what are you going to do in the waiting? Some of you who are here today, there's a promise that God has made to you that you haven't seen fulfilled yet. That's okay. Be faithful in the waiting. Some of you, there's a space where God's spoken clearly. It's time for you to act decisively. Get up and go. Move. Do. Be. 
Some of you, you've walked into this room because you were invited by a friend and you didn't know what you were getting yourself into, but this is that defining moment where you've heard a message of grace and you've heard an opportunity to, you've had an opportunity to hear that Jesus Christ died on the cross and he rose from the dead to fulfill all these promises and in him, all the promises of God have their yes. So in this moment, if you'll just relax and confess, he will forgive you and make your relationship with God right and you can walk in the promise that he's already made and already kept to you. I want to invite every one of us to be those people who are faithful in the waiting, who walk in God's character and act decisively when he speaks clearly. And if you're not someone who has placed your faith in Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to do just that. I'd like to invite everyone to stand with us for just a moment. If you'd stand right where you are. As you stand, there are going to be people who are going to move to every entrance. They're going to be all over this room. They're here to pray for you. And so maybe you need to go to them and say, I just need someone to pray that I would be patient in the waiting. I'm going through this, and I believe God said that. I'm not sure what to do. Help me to figure out how I... How I follow God's character in this moment. They're here to pray with you and to talk with you about that. If you need to place your faith in Christ, they're here to introduce you to him. I'll be down front. As we sing and as we worship through song, it would only be better if we worship by responding to our Heavenly Father and saying, God, in the waiting, I'm here for you. And if we need to place our faith in Christ to trust in him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for who you are and for what you've done in our lives. I do pray that you would move in us right now, that you would allow us to follow you faithfully in the waiting, that you would fulfill all of your promises. Father, you've done it through Jesus. Help us to be confident in that and give us the strength that we need for you to work out all those promises in your time. Father, I don't know who we'll be, but we want to be the men and women who follow you. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. These altars are open as we sing. Dirty and faithful I come Seeking forgiveness and grace For my sin is great And your love is greater Oh, seeking forgiveness and grace Weary and wounded I come Seeking your hope and your peace For you bring joy And you bring joy Seeking your hope and your peace I am free I am free From the shame that held captive over me I am yours, I am yours, by the blood that has cleansed me, I'm yours. You carried our sin to your cross, seeking all souls to unite. We gained it all, you paid the price, seeking all souls to unite. Your blood has cleansed all my stains. Redemption in life I now have. Standing in victory the rest of my days. Redemption in life I now have.
am free, I am free from the shame that held captive over me. I am yours, I am yours, by the blood that has cleansed me, I am yours. Sometimes those defining moments are moments that we choose. Sometimes they're moments that are chosen for us. And sometimes those two things come together. There is a couple in our church uh, that are headed to do something relatively spectacular based on the calling of God in their life. And I'd love for Keith to tell you more about it. Thank you, Chad. I'd like to ask Tanner and Sierra to come stand right here in front of me. Tanner grew up in our church here and is attending Oklahoma Baptist University. And his girlfriend, Sierra, is actually from Corpus Christi, Texas. And these two are going to England for the whole summer. Isn't that incredible? Uh, England, um, there's a need for Jesus in England. Less than 3% of the people or the population in England are practicing evangelical believers in Christ. Did you hear that? Less than 3%. Half of the population in England don't even claim a religion. It is a very, um, it's a very interesting country. Many of you are familiar with that country. It is no longer the same as it used to be. And I'm so thankful that Tanner and Sierra um, have obeyed the call to go and to be missionaries this summer in Birmingham, England with Greater European Missions. And um, I just want to say thank you, too, for being obedient and following through with your call. And I think it would be very appropriate for our church family to pray for these two before we go. Can family and friends, deacons, church members, anybody go ahead and come on. Let's gather around these and let's pray for these as they get ready to leave out here uh, in the middle of May is when they're heading out to England. Come this way. All right, join me in prayer. God, we are so, so thankful for Tanner and Sierra and their obedience to your call to do missions so far away. God, we pray that you'd be with them as they are preparing to leave here in the middle of May for their endeavor, their ministry in England. God, we pray that you would use them in the way that you choose to use them while they're there. We thank you so much for both of their upbringings. We thank you so much for um, their obedience again to the calling. And God, I pray that if there's anybody here in this church that has a calling upon their heart to do missions, I pray that you'd continue to speak to them in such a way to where they would also be obedient to that call. God, we pray good health. We pray for safety over these two at this time. God, use them. God, thank you for a church family that's willing to pray for them and encourage them and continue to think about them even as they leave soon. God, this is our prayer. In your name we pray. And everybody says, amen. Amen. You're dismissed.